Hey guys, it's Brian. Thanks so much for tuning in to the new episode of Let's Talk About Chef, and this week we have another 86th history. If you are new to this show, welcome, and if you're listening again, thank you so much for the support. The emails and messages we have been getting from a lot of you have been great, and it is so nice to hear from you. We read and write back to every single one of them. If you want to write to us, you can reach us at letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com, or join the Instagram page at letstalkaboutchef, or you can follow me personally at Chef Brian Clark. We know that you all have busy lives, but if you can spare one minute of it to rate and review us on iTunes, it would really help to spread the word about the show. That's enough from me. Let's get right into episode five of Let's Talk About Chef Presents 86th History. We've all been there. It's late. You have maybe had too much to drink, and all you want is that melting cheese and meat between two pieces of bread. Then you see it. The glowing sign of some fast food empire that can deliver in minutes exactly what you're craving. The salt, fat, and sugar that you need always seems to be only a stone's throw away from wherever we are. And that to most of us is a wonderful thing, even though it may not be a healthy one. The hamburger is everywhere. From backyard barbecue staple, a diner classic, and even in high-end restaurants charging ridiculous prices for their fancy version of one, we have all eaten a hamburger. We have all probably eaten a lot of them. But where did they come from? Over the last few decades, it has quickly become the largest selling and most widespread food in the world. Nothing can come close to the sheer amount of burgers made, sold, and devoured by us. To put this into perspective, right now, today, as you are listening to this, McDonald's will sell 75 hamburgers every single second. That's 4,500 hamburgers per minute, 270,000 hamburgers per hour, and 6,480,000 hamburgers every single day. And that's just McDonald's. If you want to really think about something, a cow can produce enough meat for McDonald's to make 4,500 hamburgers. That's a cow a minute. Or 1,440 cows per day that one fast food chain will use today. Although it may seem that the burger is a uniquely American invention, and true, it kind of is, and we will get there. And even though you may think that its history would be a fairly boring story, you could not be further from the truth. I'm Brian Clark, and this week on 86 History, we're talking about the anything but humble hamburger. In the year 1209 AD, Genghis Khan had a problem. The Mongol warlord had to figure out how to feed his army of horse-riding, psychopathic warriors as they made their way across his empire. They would ride for days at a time, not stopping to eat, and there was no way that any type of cook or even a bunch of pots to cook in 
would be able to keep up with the breakneck speed over the rough terrain. He had 129,000 soldiers to worry about, and what he came up with was brilliant. Riding their horses for that long, and at such great speed, meant that the area under the saddles on the horses' backs got very warm and took a beating. So he realized that if they took lamb or beef and cut it up into really small pieces, placed it in sacks, and put it under their saddles, the constant pounding and friction would not only heat the meat up, but it would tenderize it as well. The riders could reach under their saddles while they were riding and get a somewhat warm, very primitive version of a ground beef patty. In 1238, Genghis Khan's grandson was invading Moscow, Russia. Even almost 30 years later, after the invention of putting meat under their saddles, they were still using it to feed themselves. And the Russians who were watching the hordes of their enemies reaching under their saddles while they were riding and eating basically raw meat, decided to try it out for themselves. They took raw beef, pounded it thin to replicate the pounding of the saddle, ground it up, and named their new dish after their word for Mongolians. Tartar. Over the years, Russian chefs kept adapting steak tartare, adding chopped onions, seasoning, and raw egg. It's weird to think that now, over 750 years later, that steak tartare, the dish that got its start under the saddle of a Mongol warrior, is trendy again, making appearances all over restaurant menus. 400 years later, the world was a very different place. Huge ships, not horses, were taking people far and away from their homes to ports all over Europe. The world was open to anyone who wanted to see it, and when the first Russians started arriving in Hamburg, Germany, they brought their recipes and cravings for steak tartare with them. The German chefs who were asked to make the dish, despite their disgust, tried to replicate the raw meat that the Russians craved, but because of the simple fact that refrigerators, you know, hadn't been invented yet, the meat had to be cooked immediately to avoid poisoning people. And so German cooks slowly started to cook the beef more and more, until eventually a ground beef patty was flattened, seasoned, onions and garlics were added for flavor, and then it was fully cooked on a grill. The Hamburg steak was born, and it became a staple of German cuisine, even being included in the Oxford Dictionary by the year 1800. By the 1840s, Germans were beginning to arrive in New York City by the thousands. The struggle to find a job in a city that seemed to be full already meant that most German immigrants would work in restaurants or open their own stands. The Hamburg steak was in all of them. It was comfort food to German immigrants, a taste of what they missed about their homeland. The first documented use of an American restaurant serving Hamburg steak was in New York City, in the institution Delmonico's. It was the most expensive item on the menu, costing an astounding 10 cents. Hey guys, it's Brian. Look, I'm a chef, and despite my best efforts to eat healthy and take care of myself, most mornings I drink coffee for breakfast and then I head into work. I'm 32, and my body at the end of the day is not happy with my choice for nourishment, and that's where Revive Organics comes in. 
Revive Organics delivers every week healthy, organic, preservative-free smoothies in the most convenient way possible, frozen and ready to blend in the morning. It takes less time to make a healthy smoothie for breakfast than it does to brew a pot of coffee, and I feel great. You can check out Revive Organics at their website, reviveorganics.ca, and get started on your way to a better, more balanced life. And now, back to the show. In 1885, Charlie Negreen was a 15-year-old entrepreneur from Wisconsin. At the State Fair in Seymour that year, he had an idea to make a little bit of extra cash. He was going to open a Hamburg steak stand, but he didn't want to call them steaks because they weren't that big. So he decided to call them Hamburgs. Basically, it was a meatball that was cooked on a small grill, but there was a problem. When his stand opened, he sold a few Hamburgs, but people started complaining that carrying the hot meat around in their bare hands was messy and burnt them. So in what would call a moment of genius, others would call a moment of panic, he rushed over to a bakery stand and bought some bread and pickles. He hurried back to his stand, flattened the meatballs into patties, and placed them between two slices of toasted bread. As the line grew to try this young guy's new crazy food invention, someone called out to him and said, what is this called? Without thinking, he called back, it's a hamburger. Charlie returned to the State Fair every year until his death in 1951 and cooked his original hamburger, the first hamburger ever, for people that would line up in the hundreds to get to taste what the original was. The craze of the hamburger obviously did not stop in the confines of the Wisconsin State Fair. It spread quickly. Restaurants, road stands, short order spots, and diners across the country all had them available quickly. And just as quickly came the idea of adding things to the sandwich that would make them taste better. Tomatoes when they were in season, pickles for sweetness, caramelized or raw onion. The opportunities to change the burger and make it your own were endless. But nobody stepped too far out of line until in 1916 when Walter Anderson from Wichita, Kansas was bored at work and bored of eating bread with his hamburgers. One day, finally sick of it, he decided to take a heavier flour than normal bread flour and bake a square bun. You see, to make his burger stand that he worked at stand out from the others in town, he made square patties instead of round ones. The result was the world's first hamburger on a bun, And I'm not kidding, it caused pandemonium. Walter was so sure that his idea was genius. He was so sure that he had created magic with his hands and the lines down the street proved it that he quit his job, leased a small diner, and with a new business partner named Billy Ingram, they opened the very first hamburger chain restaurant. They called their idea White Castle where they served steamed square burgers for a nickel. It had been 41 years since the hamburger was invented at that state fair in Wisconsin. Presumably, millions had already been sold. It was an American phenomenon. But here's a question. Why did it take 41 years 
for 16-year-old Lionel Sternberger to be stuck working at his father's diner to casually toss a piece of cheese onto his almost fully cooked burger and let it melt. It took 41 years and a bored, hungry teenager from Pasadena, California to invent the cheeseburger. And guess what happened? The burger world exploded again. Following the lead from White Castle, more and more burger chains started to pop up all over America. The cheeseburger and the hamburger were immensely popular, with troops in World War II even being served them while they fought the Germans to provide a sense of home to the soldiers. Although during World War II, the army did change the name of the hamburger to the Liberty Burger because they didn't want their all-American troops eating something named after an enemy city. Three years after the war ended in 1948, two brothers opened up a small and quaint burger stand in San Bernardino, California. They focused on making burgers faster than everyone else, and more efficiently without sacrificing flavor. They created their kitchen to be more like an assembly line, and even went as far as to weld together parts for ketchup and mustard squirters that would squirt at the same time to save time. They cooked their french fries in a slightly more expensive beef fat instead of regular cooking oil because it gave the fries a better flavor. And because of their speed of service, people didn't have to wait very long in line for their product to be made. The food that came out of the kitchen was fast. Very fast. It was fast food. Their names were Richard and Maurice McDonald, and McDonald's barbecue was the talk of California. At the same time that McDonald's was revolutioning how fast food was being made, In-N-Out Burger opened the world's first drive through burger spot in Baldwin Park, California, making themselves the go-to place for the car-obsessed youth of the 50s. And if you weren't seen eating a burger at the drive through on a Friday night, you just weren't cool. Led by the example of McDonald's, who had now been taken over by Roy Kroc and had already started its world burger domination, other chain restaurants started to pop up everywhere. America could not get enough hamburgers, and the trend of fast food was taking over Europe and the rest of the world as well. By the 1950s, television was still in its infancy, but the first McDonald's ad featuring a new character named Ronald McDonald appeared selling hamburgers to kids. He was wearing what looked like yellow pajamas, he had a food tray taped to his head, his chin was painted red, and his, his nose was an empty McDonald's cup. But there it was, hamburgers being sold on television. Introducing the world's newest, silliest, and hamburger-eatingest clown, Ronald McDonald.
By the 1960s, burgers had made their way from the drive-thrus and roadsides and into actual restaurants, and we've all seen even now the trend of more and more expensive hamburgers on menus. The famous French chef Danny Balloud was the first person to charge $30 for a burger at his restaurant in New York in the 1980s. Despite the backlash that charging $30 for a hamburger caused, Wall Street bankers and brokers couldn't get enough of them and ate them by the gross. If you think $30 is bad for a burger, $40, $50, that's nothing. There's a burger right now that you can buy in Las Vegas that comes with black truffle, Wagyu beef, lobster and beluga caviar, venison, a duck egg, and edible gold leaf. And it only costs $1,768 for a hamburger. The burger is not going anywhere. But it also doesn't seem like McDonald's is either. McDonald's is an empire. It became a company so large and powerful on the back of hamburgers that it can literally dictate the price of beef and potatoes by what it charges on its menus. It has invaded pretty much every country on the globe. You can quite literally get a Big Mac in Tokyo, Japan that looks and tastes the exact same as one that you can get right now, not that far from wherever you are. However, there is one country that McDonald's is not allowed to go into. One country that not only does not have hamburgers, they will never have glowing yellow arches. One country that hundreds of years ago, another leader of an empire had to figure out how to feed his troops. And so he placed some meat underneath their saddles. Mongolia. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef 86th History. The episode was written by me, Brian Clark, and produced by Timothy McDonald. Our theme song, as always, is Cone of Light by the Almighty Defenders. If you want to write to us, and we will write back, you can reach us at letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com. I want to thank Revive Organics for letting us talk about them this week. Next week, we are back on Wednesday with another episode of Let's Talk About Chef. And until then, I'm Brian Clark. Have a great week.